What's up, everybody? It's Zach. And you know what? I'm going to just go ahead and say it right now. It's also Emery. Emery, say something. That's just her <laughs> breathing. Um, Emery is, uh, at the time of this recording, six weeks old. Um, so uh, we're here because I'm on daddy duty and my wife has to get some sleep. Uh, that's right. Husbands, help your wives or partners, rather, excuse me, not to be overly gendered on a podcast all focused on inclusion, equity, and diversity. Um help your partners. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, you know, they, the one person can't do it all. Sometimes you got to step in and this podcast is great. And I love y'all, but of course I love my daughter the most. Well, I love my wife also. Let me not do any type of weird hierarchy right now. Live, like a live streaming conscious of thought on a podcast. But the point is you have responsibilities. There are things that take precedent and uh, look, we're in a new normal. So I'm just here. Uh, where was I right? Living corporate. So look, living corporate amplifies and centers black and brown voices at work. Why do I say black and brown and not like people of color? Because I want to be very explicit. We want to be very explicit with what our mission is. So we aim to center and amplify black and brown identities, marginalized folks, um, folks on the periphery um, in the workplace. And we do that. How we do that by having real talk in a corporate world. Now, how do we do that? We do that by interviewing incredible leaders, cuts from all type of cloth. And, you know, we've had executives, we've had professors, entrepreneurs, public servants, activists, uh, civil leaders, elected officials. We've had all types of people, artists. And uh, today is no different. Today we have Dr. Aaron L. Thomas. Dr. Thomas is the head of diversity, inclusion and belonging at Upwork, where she leads diversity, inclusion and belonging or DIBs. Um, she leads the strategy, implementation, and coaching for all of Upwork. Prior to Upwork, though, uh, Dr. Thomas was a managing director at Paradigm, a diversity and inclusion strategy firm, where she partnered with companies to embed DIBs into their organizations through culture transformation and people development. Prior to Paradigm, Aaron held positions at Grant Thornton LLP, Argo National Laboratory, developing DNI strategies, programming, and metrics. Her work has been featured in Fast Company and the New York Times and recognized by Forbes, Human Rights Campaign, the National Association for Female Executives, and the Equal Opportunity Magazine. She holds a PhD in social psychology, a master in philosophy in social psychology, a master in science in social psychology, and a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and International Studies from Yale University. She is accredited, y'all. Okay, don't question us. Okay, we come to y'all. We bring y'all heat rock every single week, and the heat rock we bring is because we have guests that have heat rock. I'm gonna say heat rock again, just so y'all get the point. Yes, I'm turned up. Yes, it's a Tuesday. Who cares? Aaron, what's up? Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, little baby Emery. Uh, I am so excited to be here, and I want to give you a number. So I'm really into during COVID times anchoring you know how are you doing on a, on a scale yes one is you know we got to get out of here and get some get some more support like we're yep. not doing well yep 10 is you know covid what covid who but but i think like if you're 10 you also probably need some external support facts. um so, <laughs> so ideally right you're somewhere in between and i think today i am i'm like a seven eight i'm very That's excited awesome. to be chatting with you yeah yeah what's your number a really good question you know i don't know it's interesting because your scale i don't know how it accounts for like other things right like so like i'm also a i'm also like here with like a six-week-old baby so I, maybe i'm like a so like coronavirus is not like at the top of my mind because i'm trying to focus on keeping this thing that looks like me alive maybe i'm like a i'd probably say i'm like a seven eight like i'm pretty good i'm happy right like i mean life is good 
the new Drake right. album. That well, not the album, but the uh, the little collection of Lucy's came out recently. That was very good. That I enjoy. You know, my favorite shows are still coming on. I've caught up on some anime, so I'm keeping myself well distracted. <laughs> That's good. I think distraction is good. I think in the beginning days of all this, it felt for me at least a little weird to compartmentalize or I felt a little guilty, but I actually think that's incredibly healthy, you know, to find moments of displeasure and delight and right. it's all we got, right? I mean, this is, the reality is like before this pandemic, like I was already a homebody. Now people at work, like people who know me from work, they may not know that because like in person, like I'm a fairly gregarious guy, but like, you know, people are complex, right? I think like we create a lot of these terms and things that aren't really academic or scientific just to kind of better compartmentalize people. Like you're an extrovert, you're an introvert. It's like, eh, I mean, I enjoy people, but I also enjoy being alone. Like I enjoy being right. at home, being with my wife and now my kid, like I'm fine with that, but I'm glad, I'm glad that you're excited. I'm excited and in a good place as well. You know, this would be interesting to do again, like, if our numbers were wildly different, right? Like, so you're like a seven, eight, I'm a seven, eight. But if I was like a two, then like, I wonder how the dynamics of this discussion would look. Yeah. I mean, I think then, and this has happened to me at work, right? Like I come in low and someone else is high or, or vice versa. I think that's the point of it, right? It's a moment of pause to figure out what do you need to put aside or do you need to get off this call or how can I support you and, and give that person who's lower an opportunity to, either just share or not or articulate more i just think it's a great window into how can we work together towards whatever it is we need to achieve and if now's not the time fair you know we got to go and come back together when we're both in the right space i think it happens all the time we just don't often put numbers to it right i agree i agree so look that actually is a really good segue for us to get into this like this pandemic um, it continues to expose and exacerbate all types of inequities from social to governmental and of course workplace just all across the board and i'll tell you frankly it just it feels overwhelming for me to think about holistically let alone try to address and so i'm really curious about just like considering your role with upwork i'd love to hear how your perspective and focuses have shifted as this pandemic has continued and considering your level within Upwork, like the organizational power that you wield by way of your level, I'd love to hear about how power and influence has shaped your praxis. Yeah. Uh, This could take the whole hour, which, you know, happy, happy to unpack (laughs) it for that long because it's deep. It's deep and very real. I mean, I think like the quickest answer for me is not that much has actually changed about the objectives that we set out to achieve for this year. Uh, how we go about them certainly has had to stay agile and nimble, but but in the work that I do, that's, that's always the case. I always like to be super responsive to context and not get so prescriptive about how we execute, but to kind of keep our eyes on the prize. And so from my personal vantage point, I, especially during the beginning days of this, have never felt more critical than I do right now. You know, I think there's so many external conversations and great thought leaders who have articulated this better, but what this crisis has really done, like most crises, is magnify fractures, gaps, inequities that already existed. And so I've used this really as an opening to accelerate my platform and the work that I'm doing for marginalized folks at our company. So 
just to dig into it, you know, I did a couple of tactical things once it became clear to me that, oh, like this is, you know, this is serious. Like this is not the flu. This is, this is going to change everyone's lives forever. And I don't think that's an overstatement. Um, so once that reality sort of set in, yeah. the first thing I did was I revisited these operating principles that I crafted when I started at Upwork. So I joined the company in December of 2019. I'm only about in and there's been a lot of change since then internally and obviously externally, but as a team of one and as the first dibs leader in our organization, I thought it was really important for me to just get anchored on what what's going to guide my decision and, you know, use that decision framework for really advertising how I saw my role. I think especially when a role like this is new or especially when someone comes in with a multidisciplinary background, a very strategic lens. Folks, folks don't necessarily know what the role is, and they kind of fill in their own blanks and make their own stories. So that was important to me, and uh, I revisited those once we started quarantining just to make sure that they were evergreen. They stood up in this crisis, and, and they did, thankfully. And I, I can quickly share them. I mean, there's only four, and everything yeah. we do is, you know, it's systemic. So number one is accounts for the systems and structures we're operating in and that's you know systems and structures within our company and certainly externally as well that's number one definitely holds true today number two is everything we do is tailored to the most specific population or the most specific point in the employee experience as possible and so it kind of goes back to how you introduced the podcast which is it's basically about centering we have to get specific we have to get articulate and discreet about what problem we're trying to solve or what opportunity we're trying to seize. And certainly during COVID times, that's been really critical. Uh, and I think that principle holds up. The third is active. So I really wanted to mark that for myself and for others. And, you know, there's no passive way to do this work. Like we're going to have to change some things. And, uh, you know, I think that's intuitive, but also to declare. And then the fourth thing, which is super critical for me, and this is where I see a lot of DIBs or DEI, whatever acronym you want to use, professionals yeah. flounder a little bit, is it's being pragmatic and being compelling and cohesive and telling, you know, one story that that folks can get behind that also makes sense in the context of the day-to-day decisions and work that they're doing. And I think too often DIBs work kind of exists in a bit of a vacuum, right? It's a little bit of a, a, a tag-along or a extracurricular. And I think that's the piece, you know, during Corona time that I've had to really get critical even more so with myself about it. Like, hmm. is this realistic, right? Like, do people have the capacity for this new thing or this new structure or this new effort? Um, and just really kind of giving grace to the folks who have to carry forward on the strategies who have to you know change their behaviors because it's a lot to ask even in the best of times and i want to push and and again uh lean into discomfort but also be uh gracious with the fact that folks are dealing with a lot right now so, so that's one of the things i did was just like double check on is the way that we're going about this work still relevant during this time another thing was just reprioritizing some of those actual objectives there were just a couple that even before Corona, we're nicer to have, but now it's clear that this is not the year to be working on the frills. we got to stick to the essentials in terms right. of our strategic goals. And then the last thing I'll quickly say is 
I actually really leverage the fact that it seems like most folks are becoming kind of armchair experts in epidemiology these days, right? Like I'm learning more mm. and more about viruses yeah. and how they spread. And I think there's some really interesting, and if I thought about it hard enough, there could be a poem out of this, but you know, I think there's some really interesting, I don't know, overlays between what we're seeing with the virus and, and how I think about people and the fact that, hey, Emery, uh, the fact that we are all connected, we're all interdependent, and we need to center the most vulnerable. I think as a society, that's becoming more and more clear just with the true stats that are coming out from COVID. Uh, but it also, I think, has been what activists and Dibs practitioners have been saying for, for you know, decades. And so I think, at least in my company, it sort of seems like there's this window of opportunity to seize on this understanding of centering and equity and disproportionate impact that folks are getting externally and carry that same framework and understanding through the work that I do internally. I just think folks are grasping it a little bit more easily now than they might have been before this. So so that to me has been exciting. That's awesome. And yes, hello, Emery. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Like, <laughs> Um, you know what I what I think is what I find curious about about this time, um, or intriguing even, um, is that because of the real impacts that this pandemic is having with folks that look like us and that don't look like us, and the frustrations that come along with that, it's creating avenues for people to have even more frank conversations, mm-hmm. um, and yep. and to really kind of like get past some of the jargon and like these like super long monologues about whatever and really get into you know how can we actually create impact and change and help because there are people who actively need help to me that's a and i'm i try to be like a silver lining type of person so like that's if i was to say that's a, a benefit like i would say that that is something that is a positive out of all of this i do think also to your point around dei practitioners i do think that there's a, a bit of a gap when it comes to okay how do we transition from i think and i've talked i've talked about this with some other folks on, in the past um yeah. is we i think i think we're now doing a, a decent job of like talking about the historicity of oppression like or we'll talk about systemic inequities and like these very like high level systems that almost seem like we speak about them almost like in the abstract right so we'll say like yeah well, you know black men they're targeted by police blah, blah, blah. it's like okay that's that's true and i'm not being dismissive of that let's talk a little bit more about the systemic inequities in your workplace though how can we transition these conversations to be a bit more practical and targeted to the reality of your employees. And I get why, you know, there's a variety of reasons why we don't necessarily have those conversations. One, I don't think we necessarily know how, but then two, like it's increasingly uncomfortable to have conversations about actual power in your workplace, because then we start looking at individuals, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard or maybe impossible not to take, you know, a conversation about power and privilege personally, but at the same time, I think where I've seen the most effective work, where I've done the most effective work is where we actually sort of meet somewhere in the middle. It's about what roles or positions do we hold? How are those products of a greater societal system? And given the seat we're in, it's not really about us. I think it's really about the position. Um, but given that we fill it, you know, what is our responsibility uh, to disrupt things that for now we weren't aware, you know, we were products of or... Now that we are, we realize we have 
uh, a bit of an urgency to leave a legacy or leave things better than uh, we found them. And I think that's where the activation can happen. That's where we can get tactics without guilting people, right? Without making them defensive. I think it's just the reality of, oh, this is all by design. And we're sort of right. products of this greater architecture. So now what are we going to do about it? And if we're not going to do anything, that's fine, too. But then we should stop talking about it. Uh, <laughs> right? So like, that's fine. I want to be clear that I don't judge or begrudge that. I think that's fine. You know, companies and leaders can make those choices. But then stop talking about it because that's where. And that's right? my. Yes. Not yeah. to cut you off. Like, that's yeah. my rub, too. Is just no, like, look, good. At a certain point, it's like, look, I'm tired of us talking about diversity being our strength yeah. and there not being anybody that looks yeah. like me that actually has any type of authority or power. You know, I'm tired of us always talk like shoehorn, like not shoehorning in because no disrespect. Just we're talking. We talk about gender in these very like binary exclusionary mm-hmm. ways without being intersectional law with race or sexual identity. Uh, we talk about uh, sexual identity in these binary ways without ex- without including race. Uh, we don't yeah. we ignore any race um, trans identities, particularly trans black female identities. Like I'm so if, like like if we're going to do this. Let's do it. If we're not going to do it, let's yeah. not. It's 2020. Um, Rona or no Rona. Let's just <laughs> let's just be honest. Um, I agree. I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I, you know, that's where folks get disillusioned. That's where, you know, when the word doesn't match the deed, it, it, it reads as inauthentic because it frankly is. And I think most companies or, or leaders within them would be honestly better served to talk a little less about about diversity about yeah. inclusion about equity yeah. and then keep on or to raise the bar for themselves but this weird in between is just not working right it, it's not working it's frustrating the folks who are most impacted and and then we see the the results which is very minimal uh quantitative gains when it comes to actual representation within the workforce so right. these things all chicken tie together they all they all relate uh so yeah they do now this is now this is me going off the script it just it just popped in my like not popped in my head uh because i think about it a lot but we didn't talk about it for this interview we got to have you back in because i really want to talk about in-group out-group dynamics and the pressures that marginalized people in positions of authority have to like toe the line in that regard or how much they push against to then create inclusive workplaces for people that look like them because like no, and I, I reckon that's a big topic, but like, I just want to say this because it's, yeah. it's on it's on the top of my heart and my mind is like, we often some, I, I've noticed, and I've had these conversations like with, with black folks like off the record, right? So like in consulting, there's all these different tracks of leadership and, you know, the, the highest up is typically managing director or partner. And, mm-hmm. I've, and I've talked to some black partners who I really respect and everything. And I'm like, look, how many of you do you meet? Like, because the people that I talk to, like they're with it, like they're conscious. They genuinely care. They try to use their access power and privilege, relative power and privilege to help other folks that look like them. And I'm, I'm talking like two people. Right. And I've asked right. them and, I, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I'm asking them like, yo, like what's like, what's going on? Like why, like why, why, why are the rest of y'all a bunch of Clarence Thomas's up here? Like, what is, what is this? And, um, <laughs> And so we had this whole frank discussion about, but I really want to have you back because like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like you and I could have that conversation, but I want to have it because, yeah. and I had this very, like, so it was not uncomfortable. So let, let, let's Paul, everybody stop. Everybody, which listen, y'all should know by now. It's like, we're a couple hundred episodes in a hundreds of episodes in actually living corporate. Y'all know I enjoy our conversation. So this exchange I'm about to explain <laughs> to y'all 
is not was not awkward for me. It was awkward for them. Okay, it was not awkward for me. So I had this conversation, and I was, and I was oh goodness, my daughter is loud. Okay, hey, y'all, check it out. Y'all hear these vocals by Emery? Don't play. Um, no labels, but you know we'll make a SoundCloud soon. So anyway, so so I was talking to this person, and I was like, look, the reality is. The folks in power only let a certain amount of us in these spaces, okay? And yeah. when you see us in these spaces high up, like, if, to find somebody that looks like us in those spaces who genuinely care, who are not closing doors behind you, who are speaking truth to power, again, I'm not I'm not asking you to come show up in a Kuta Kente shirt. I'm just saying, if you could just, okay, if you could, you know, just act like you black, act like you recognize, you know, experiences. To find those type of people, it's like finding a unicorn with gold yeah. teeth you know what i mean it's crazy yeah yeah. Um, yeah well and it's hard for me to speak to personally simply because my role is diversity right <laughs> i'm not right i'm not here as a tax professional i am a diversity expert and researcher uh so so that's a, i guess a privilege if you will that i hold as a leader in my company and i I recognize that. It was true in my last role, too, uh, as I was in a consulting firm and I was on the leadership team, um, but we were a diversity consulting firm, right? And so mm. even in there, you see you see some of that where, yeah, I had to really reconcile, I guess, with the fact that I was doing this work and certainly had more latitude to, you know, speak that truth to power than I would if I were in another profession, and at the same time, even I find myself vigilant, of course, and protective, of course, of how how much is too much. You know, where do I strike that that balance of advocating in ways that people can hear versus that that active, you know, operating principle that I that I called out earlier. You know, yeah. getting getting folks to healthy discomfort. It's tough. It's it's a it's a whole level of calculus that I um, have become, I think, decent at. I think also, though, I always, and, and, yeah, we should talk about this another time because we can go real deep into this, right? I, I always do this this dance of, like, on the one hand, any professional, especially any leader, is context switching and code switching all the time, right? Like, all that is time. effective leadership, right? That, that's effective, but yet when you're a person of color, when you are black, which I can speak to, when you're brown... I think it creates some compunction of like how much of this is playing the game that anyone would play and how much of this is selling out. And I don't have an answer. I think everyone has their own barometer for that, but it's something I challenge myself on. all Like what if this feels like me and what if this feels like I'm becoming complicit in something that I don't subscribe to. And, you know, sometimes I can't really codify when I'm feeling uncomfortable, but I know what I'm feeling. Right. And that's when I have to really check myself and, and really examine if how I'm showing up or what I'm sharing or advocating is really serving my key audience, which is our marginalized folks at our company. Yo, so thank you for real sound, man. Put a little round of applause in here for answering this question off the fly because we did a pre-production. This was <laughs> not part of the questions, but I just it was just Good. something on top of my mind.
thank you so much now look let's get into this though we're just not really at the top of the conversation we planned on having um at the time of us recording this over 32 million folks have applied for unemployment benefits at the same time many companies are trying to retain their employees and keep them engaged in new working environments i mean there's even a lot of unofficial conversations happening on companies having pressure to not let go of too many uh, minority employees in the name of just optics and potential legal ramifications. Um, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, can we talk about this new dynamic where tensions may be, uh, particularly for black and brown employees? Sure. I mean, when I hear this question, I'm really thinking about it as what are black and brown workers maybe thinking, feeling, tussling with individually if they are still employed. Uh, and I think I've seen both at Upwork, but certainly beyond that as well, because obviously I consume research, I consume, you know, thought leadership externally. And I think there's a picture that's sort of forming for me in my head, which is there's a range, I think, of, of emotional reactions for folks who are still employed. And I think at, at its best, folks are feeling really grateful, of course, right? It's sort of going back to us reading on a scale of one to 10. It's like, yeah, it's a very... It's a very compartmentalized one to ten, but like right. we're grateful for the blessings we have, and I think certainly that is true of folks who are in jobs with fair pay and fair benefits. They want to give their all to their employers because their circumstances could be so much worse. And I think especially in you know people work in uh, mission driven organizations and purposeful organizations, that's incredibly true. You know, I'm seeing more and more come out, for instance, amongst mental health professionals who are yeah. who are burning out because they're just giving it all. And I think, you know, in normal times, it's hard to strike that balance of taking care of others versus yourself. And I think especially now, if folks are lucky to still have, you know, some semblance of job security, they're, they're giving a lot and they're very grateful. I think towards the more extreme ends of, of this spectrum of reactions, I'm also seeing certainly some guilt, some comparative guilt, you know, around there are folks out there who are on the front lines, who are essential workers, who are, have lost their jobs. And so maybe I'm not feeling great about what I'm doing or where I am, but how, like, how could I complain, right? You know, how could I complain when maybe things aren't ideal, but, but I have so much. No, straight so up. So that's where I start to get, yeah. yeah, I get a little nervous, I get a little nervous about that. Uh, but I understand it, right? Like you won't want to rock the boat right now. Uh, when employment is so precarious. Uh, I think there's, you know, on this extreme end of the spectrum, a bit of grief happening. Just obviously black and brown folks are more likely to have people around them succumbing to this virus, uh, falling ill, being unemployed themselves. And so, you know, folks are at work, but grieving different losses that some of their counterparts may not be grieving as directly. Uh, and then there's this whole backstop of, of fear. Like, even if you feel secure in your job for now, this whole situation is obviously unprecedented. We don't know what will happen to the economy. We don't know what will happen to our companies. And again, the research shows that black and brown folks and women are right. the first to get furloughed, to get laid off, to your right. point. And so in secure times, black and brown folks are more heavily scrutinized and I think folks who are still working feel a microscope that may or may not be on them, but it's impossible not to be vigilant about 
if you're going to make it out of here with the job you went into this crisis with, if that job is actually the right job for you or if you're feeling beholden to, you know, a vulnerable time in your life. I think it's a very confusing time, but it all goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is that it's just magnifying some of the sentiments that folks are always feeling. I think there's overlay of like true uncertainty that is pressing, but I think folks are really trying to just get through the day. Uh, trying to keep the jobs they have and, you know, trying not to encounter some of the secondary traumas that can come when you lose that job, uh, that security that you have in place. So I'm seeing a, a whole swirl of things and uh, the way they look to me basically is people are, are tired. <laughs> they are exhausted. They are burning out. Um, and, you know, I think they're taking care of themselves a little less than they used to because it feels a little risky to do that. You segued really well into my next question about like black and brown employees and their experience. And I was, it's funny because I was, I was talking to a colleague about this, talking to a workplace colleague about like my own experiences. I was like, you know, I've had some stresses because I've had some friends who almost fell victim to COVID-19 and you know, they recovered, but I also have acquaintances whose family members have passed. So you're right. Like just what's on my mind is different throughout the day yeah or maybe it's just a little more real let me not say that other folks because there have been white folks dying of the coronavirus too so it's like you know it's, it's not about trying to like dismiss one to uplift the other it's just like okay this is real for you and it's even more real for me and so i'm curious like you know can we talk a little bit about what organizations can do during this time to at the very least reduce harm for their black and brown employees for sure and i think you know first i want to say one, thank goodness for your friends who have recovered. And two, I'm, I'm very sorry for the losses that are close to you. I'm sorry for that for everybody. It's, you know, the backdrop to all of this is just, it's really hard to fathom, honestly. It's, like, it's hard for me to, like, wrap my head around the devastation this has caused. Right. And it's just, it's so painful. And I'm sorry that everyone is going through this in some way because everyone is affected and, and is going to be in some way by the, the physical tolls that this is taking on people. To that point, you know, I think there's a few things that orgs can do kind of from the top down. I think there's also things certainly that any individual colleague or manager can do for the folks around them. But I'll talk about this on a couple of levels. Uh, sidebar is I always think of the Nick Jonas song levels whenever I, I am thinking uh, about how to approach this work. Now, what is the Nick Jonas? Because the only song I know by Nick Jonas is that I still get jealous. You know what I'm saying? You're so yeah, sexy it's, like it's about, I'm trying to figure how it goes. It's no? about love has levels. Oh, okay. Levels, levels. I don't, I don't know the word. Oh, come on, Aaron. Come on now. I hear I don't you with know. the vocals. I gotta find it. But I like him. And I know he has a song called Levels. And I always think about it. It's like, oh, Levels take me higher. I don't know. Levels take me higher. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a terrible song. It's, it's a, a terrible, terrible song. song. Okay. Point, Did he have a yeah, black choir in the background? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, when Nick Jonas came out there, he, he, nah, he came out there, they was like, I still get jealous. I was like, what is going on? What is, Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this. I mean, he's a jealous guy. Anyway, like, moving forward. <laughs> I'm going to have to find it. I'm going to have to sing it and just send you a little audio clip because I, I can't even remember the tune because it's not a memorable song. Love okay. you, Nick. Um, <laughs> but I think, 
you know, the top down, like companies, and really I'm talking about leaders, people leaders, diversity leaders can, can take care to do a few things. One is, and I saw this during the earlier days, I guess, of, of people sheltering in place. I think things have leveled out maybe a bit, at least from my vantage point, but in the beginning, there was a lot of corporate messaging, and I think you even see this still on commercials of, you know, we're all in this together. And right. on its face, cool, 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 like, right? Like, you want to build camaraderie, you want to cohere folks around a shared sense of community, but if you beat that drum a little too long, especially within your company, I think it can can kind of err to the side of, of being colorblind, right? And, and really minimizing the disproportionate yes. strain that they're actually quite is on employees of color and non-black and brown folks and so you know i think striking that balance of certainly we're all in this together and also here are the distinct experiences that we know folks are grappling with is an important sort of dual approach to make sure that your folks who are black and brown know that they're seen know that they're recognized for their unique experiences through this and the unique impacts that they're encountering. So that's, that's one thing. It's just like take that sort of multicultural lens to those company communications that you're sending out. I think another thing is, you know, just wherever you can, creating space for employees to, to uncover and, and share more about their specific experiences. So, you know, we did this back in April at Upwork. We partnered with Michelle Kim, who I know is a friend of the podcast. Come on, what's up, Michelle yeah. J. Kim? Shout out yeah. to Awaken Co. What's up? <laughs> 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 um, so she's awesome. And we uh, we sort of co-facilitated just, uh, I think, a 75-minute conversation with leaders of our Asian ERG. So this is before the data about dads was coming out um, with regards to black and brown folks. And the conversation was mostly around in terms of the media, uh, anti-Asian bias and discrimination and racism. So we seized on the timeliness of that conversation and and built out, you know, a, a virtual forum for our employees to share what they were concerned about, what they were fearing in their day-to-day lives and interactions, and to scale out from that, from those stories, to give more context to, you know, why are we seeing this? What is this? Uh, this is not unique to this moment in time. This is, you know, a pattern repeating and really uh, a place of urgency to educate our folks a little bit more about historical context and why it matters now and importantly what they can do to disrupt and call out bias in themselves and discrimination they're seeing uh, externally. Uh, a third thing is certainly around mental health and, and benefits and resources to aid folks you know, who are experiencing trauma and grief. And I don't think it just has to be if you've lost someone close to you. I think in general, folks are really struggling, obviously, with anxiety and insomnia, and there's there's data coming in on that. And so making sure that your company has the right level and, and amount of bereavement and leave policies, but also just coaching and support with your EAP, if you have one, or your HR team, getting them uh, at least to a basic level, upskilled and providing that one-to-one support for folks and uh, hopefully referring them out to uh, medical providers uh, if they need, you know, more professional coaching. Uh, And then the last thing, you know, it's related to what you're saying about terminations and layoffs and all that. Every company should be auditing uh, the decisions they're making during this time when it comes to, you know, furloughs and 
and risk, making sure that they're looking at that through an equity lens, making sure they're not just focusing on people's kind of positions in the company or tenure because black and brown folks tend to sit lower in the org and tend to be earlier in their tenure. So really taking a performance-based approach to that analysis can be helpful in getting out of that sort of hamster wheel of, you know, first in, first out when it comes to black and brown folks. So so those are, you know, top-down structural considerations that companies can be taking every day. I think on the ground, peers and managers can can be doing some of what we've already kind of role modeled in this conversation. Check in with people. My goodness. Just think about who you haven't spoken to in a while. Think about whom you might normally pass at, you know, the water cooler, the coffee station. And if you haven't chatted with that person one-to-one in a minute, you know, slack them, ping them, whatever you've got in terms of internal messaging systems, call them, pick up the phone and check in to see how people are doing and, and make sure you create, you know, space to actually hear their answer and to actually respond. So it, as opposed to the normal, how's it going, like really ask the question and really wait for the answer and, and be with that person with right. whatever they share. You know, um, yeah. I think I think it's really about those personal connections that we probably took for granted when we were back in an office setting for those of us who are in offices and that are harder to actualize now, right? Like we're all home, we're all behind screens. And so there is no organic, you know, water cooler conversation. It means we have to make a little effort to reach into folks and to show them that we care about them, that we're connected to them and, and that we're a resource or that the company has resources for them, whatever they need. I love it. I love it. Now, Aaron, you know that we're about real talk in the corporate world, like I said at the top of the show. For the executive leader listening to this and, and perhaps rolling their eyes or maybe like speed listening and like being like, yeah, 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 I know this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, just like kind of being dismissive as to the gravity of this and, and why this matters. Why should folks have an inclusive and equitable lens during this time? And then what's the potential fallout in your mind if they don't? Oh, I have so many reactions to this question. I think first, if if someone's rolling their eyes to this, which yep, could could be true, I'll just like emphatically say that's not my key audience. Like I'm just not <laughs> not interested. I just, you know, I'm really not, and I'm just not. It's just that's not that's not my sweet spot. Uh, there were times earlier in my career where that was where I found it fun to really push the business case for equity, business case for diversity. I am not interested in that anymore. And thankfully I'm not, I'm in an org where I don't have to do that. Like I just like kudos to those of you who are doing that. Frankly, for me personally, that's ineffective, right? You know, people do not make decisions based on facts or data. So I could, you know, stand here and talk about the research that's been done. You know, Great Place to Work recently did a study around yes. publicly traded companies, right? Yeah, and they yeah. showed that, yeah, that those who focus on inclusion did better during the recession and saw more returns. So, like, I could share all those stats and, and all that, but it doesn't matter. Like, if you're rolling your eyes, if you are asking why or if, like, it's not, it's probably not going to happen for you. Like, just call it you know because you can google it you can ask siri you can ask jeeves you can do whatever you want to do but like not ask jeeves <laughs> you can go back to jeeves if you have to but 
my point is that this does not help people make decisions. People make decisions emotionally. They do what they want to do, and then they rationalize it later. That is a fact. That's a fact. And so, you know, it is. And that's science. And so if you are are not in any way emotionally inclined to care, no, nothing I say, no data point is going to make you care. So I think that's just one thing. It's like I am impatient and, and frankly, especially with, you know, decades of research that I think has really caught on in industry, we're just past the point of denying the value proposition of diversity. I think it wastes calories. I think it distracts from the meaningful question, which is like how we can go about it during this time or, you know, what we should be prioritizing. I think those are fair questions. But if you're, for whatever strange reason, listening to this podcast and rolling your eyes, like I don't, <laughs> I don't have time for it. I just don't. I don't. And already that was too much time explaining how I don't have time for it. So, so that's my quick, my quick reaction to that. Um, I think for those who are kind of, you know, struggling with how to go about this or where to maybe um, invest less or more, that's incredibly fair. I think that is incredibly challenging. So what I would say there is, it goes back to what we were kind of talking about earlier. I mean, this is life and death, right? Like it does not get more real in terms of, a call to action than this moment in time. And I think every leader should sit themselves down and critically examine what legacy they want to leave. You know, this is the time for for companies to demonstrate what living their values actually looks like. It's their time to pressure test, you know, different mantras that companies love to share around, you know, authentic selves at work or bring your whole selves to work. So if you're saying, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, if you're saying those things, well, here's your moment. Here's your moment to show what it really means. And that's true at the company level. It's true at that personal level. Uh, hopefully, you're inclined to want to dig more deeply into what actualizing on your commitments actually could mean right now. And, and I think that's the place to get really serious about where are the potential gaps between what you're saying and doing? And as we said earlier, you know, if you realize, huh, even in this most dire circumstances, we're maybe not really ready to make the investments that we might need to actually move the needle or create the environment that our people need. Right. Okay. That's a tough conclusion to come to, but okay. That's responsible in though, that right? Case, right. Yeah. I mean, and then, okay, well then you've got to communicate that back. But if, you have been talking a game for a while and are realizing you want to step it up, that's amazing. And I think for, from there, what you can be doing is really leveraging external leaders. I mean, there's a lot of information, uh, tools that are free. You can certainly and should be always leveraging your internal employees or workers, however they want to be leveraged, to help you reveal your blind spots. But this is it. Like, this is the moment. And hopefully or to really step it up and leave a footprint that I think can last for generations. You know, what companies do now, I think is going to reset how people see them in the public light, how people see them as an employer of choice or not. And so it's a critical kind of come to Jesus moment, hopefully for, for leaders and orgs to double down or to de-emphasize the things we've been talking about for a while. Yo, man, I mean, this has just been an incredible conversation. I mean, I really, I would be remiss not to drop a flex bomb right here. 
And then also some air horns. Put them in right here. So now, Aaron, before we let you go, uh, before Emery and I, excuse me, let you go, um, any parting words or shout outs? I know you've been dropping wild gems this entire time, but I just want to give you one last, you know, where they can find you, what you're excited about with Upwork, anything. Give your time to plug. Oh, goodness. Okay. I did not prepare for this. I, I have so many people to thank. Um, I would say find me on Twitter. That's it. Please don't try to find me on LinkedIn. I don't respond to LinkedIn. Just real talk. So it's just too cluttered. So Aaron L. Thomas. I can't with it. So Aaron L. Thomas, Macy, is my Twitter handle. I would say check out Upwork. I have been a lot of places. I have led diversity within two other organizations before now. I've been an expert consultant. I've seen a lot of what companies are doing. And I wouldn't be at Upwork if I weren't rabidly passionate about what we're doing and about all of the magic ingredients that attracted me to our company. So I'd love for folks to check us out. Come work with us. We're a great, amazing, purposeful company doing great work and with cool leaders like me. So come on through. I mean, it's the best ad I could imagine. Um, Listen, (laughs) y'all. (laughs) Y'all. All right, y'all. Look, you know what it is. Uh, We're having real talk in the corporate world. I'm saying it like three times this time. But, you know, we amplify and center, uh, marginalized, underappreciated, underrepresented, undersupported, underestimated voices at work. And look, we can check us out anywhere. OK, look, we on you know, all over Barack Obama's Internet. You just Google live in corporate. OK, we we're going to pop up. We there. OK, we just we all over, um, you know, check us out on Twitter at live in corporate underscore pod, live in corporate on Instagram shoot if you old school and you're like nah zach i gotta go in the browser and type in the domain like a true og <laughs> then i'm gonna say okay cool and i'm gonna tell you www.living dash please say the dash corporate.com or livingcorporate.co livingcorporate.us livingcorporate.tv livingcorporate.org livingcorporate.net we got all the living corporate except livingcorporate.com so if you type in livingcorporate.com and livingcorporate does not pop up do not be mad at me because i told you already we don't got that one. We got all the other living corporates or living dash, please say the dash, corporate.com. All right. Uh, you know, you can also email us at living corporate podcast, gmail.com. You can also DM us. Okay. DMs are wide open. We are, um, we are not afraid of the random DM. Just hit us up and make sure we hit you back. If you got a listener letter, you can know you can submit it right there. We'll answer it on the show. We got a, we got a decent number. We try to get to a critical mass so we can answer a few and then we kind of make that an episode just so y'all know it's like a peek behind the curtain until next time y'all this has been uh, Zach and you've been listening to Dr. Aaron Thomas of Upwork uh, me and Emery are gonna catch y'all later Emery got anything to say nope alright y'all peace Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.